Thanks for doing such a perfect episode, guys. Perfect. Perfection. Bye. Good night. Bye. Bye. See you later. Get out of here. Go home. The show's over. Go home. Why are you still here? God, leave. Security. Neil's looking at me funny. (laughs) Okay, that part's not going in the intro. (laughs) Welcome to ArcaSpeak, a fortnightly podcast about all things architecture. My name is Evan Troxell, and I'm one of your hosts along with Neil Pan and Cormac Phelan. Have you ever wondered what it's like to work in the profession of architecture? Have you ever worked with an architect? Have you ever wanted to be an architect? Maybe you're in school and don't know what you're getting yourself into, or perhaps you know exactly what it's like because you've been working in the profession for a long time, and you know that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Or maybe, just maybe, you're planning on changing the world. Join us as we have a casual conversation about our passion, architecture. It's time for some Arcaspeak. Welcome to episode 94 of the Arcaspeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxell. And I'm Cormac Phelan. And this episode of Arcaspeak is sponsored by Arcat. Check out all the features they offer at arcat.com. We're also sponsored by Drobo. What is a Drobo? Drobo is a family of safe, expandable, yet simple to use smart storage devices. Drobos are designed to protect your important data forever. Visit them at drobo.com to learn more. Wallprotex is also a sponsor. Wallprotex is a wall protection designer and manufacturer that has created something that helps architects do their job better. It's a curated newsletter that finds the top five most shared architectural articles from the past 24 hours from the top architectural websites in the world. Sign up at arcnews.io. We'll talk more about each of these episode sponsors later in the show. But first up, we have some friends of the show to announce. We've got two friends of the show for this episode. The first one is Zachary McCoy, who is a second-year architecture school student at a local community college down here in Palm Springs near me and is getting ready to uh, go to Cal Poly Pomona, where I went. So this is exciting. I'm excited for Zach. This is cool. So Zach is currently working as the only drafter for a large pool and landscape building company, and he's starting to do some architectural visualization for a few local architects. Sounds like he's got his hands full. So thanks, Zachary, for becoming a friend of the show for Arcaspeak, and uh, we really appreciate you listening and donating. Our second friend of the show is Matthew Higgins, and Matthew is a mechanical engineer who's doing MEP in New York City, and uh, he loves architecture. So this is very cool for us to hear that Matthew, as a mechanical engineer, is listening to our show. This is awesome. So, Matthew, we are not going to lower the ceilings this week, but uh, we will definitely uh, send our appreciation to you for donating to the show. We, we love it. And so if anybody else out there would like to become a friend of the show, you can head over to arcaspeakpodcast.com slash donate where you can donate, and anything over $5, you can get your name read on the show. If you'd like, just let us know when you fill out the form. So again, arcaspeakpodcast.com slash donate. This show is made possible by listeners and sponsors, so we appreciate everybody who heads over there to do that. And that's it. So uh, this week we are going to be talking about 
perfection and progress and the basically the the dichotomy that we all deal with every day at least i do i know that you guys do too um and and so i guess i just wanted to kind of start it out by defining what perfection or i guess how we deal how we see perfection manifest itself and what are the the kind of cons and maybe there's some pros out there but i think there's more cons than pros that that we have to deal with because Let's face it, right? Projects that we work on, we could always, we could just continue to work on them forever. Oh, yeah. And so, as perfectionists, like I consider myself one, how do you actually limit yourself to stopping? Like, how do you, you know, there's always deadlines, right? <laughs> to me, that is how I do it. That was going to uh, say, I, exactly, deadlines. I've got to stop working. Um, but, but we all kind of deal with different levels of this and different parts of the of the project. And I think, uh, you know, as a, as a designer, I, I really struggle with this. And I also struggle with it with my teammates who are like, man, you're not done yet. <laughs> Is that not designed yet? Or you're redesigning that? Uh, that happens a lot. And and I don't mean to say that super lightheartedly because I think it is a, it, it can be a problem on projects for sure. But um Perfection can be what what uh, there's a there's a link that we'll put in the show notes here, written by Amber Ray, where where she calls perfection a serial killer, and uh, it's one of those things where it will totally kill a project. It can totally kill the number of hours that you are allowed to put on a project. Uh, and so, what do we do? How, how do we get past this? I mean, what do you guys what do you guys generally think? Uh, yeah. Well, this is this is one of those things that it's it's at the odds with with creativity, right? Like we're doing a creative thing, designing buildings and working with clients and trying to come up with innovative solutions for and those things don't happen on a schedule necessarily, right? Well, you know, it's it's funny. It's, so a lot of times people confuse perfection and creativity and think that they're kind of partners with each other. And you could be fully creative, but not a perfectionist, because if you're trying to like get all of those ideas out and try to get them perfect before you like either present them to somebody, you're never going to get done. Well, first, first of all, there is no such thing as perfection, right? Like we we try to achieve it, but we never actually do. I don't think. I don't. I don't even know how we could say that we do. Right. And so I think perfection does kill creativity because if you are operating under the the thought that you can you can do it perfect and you can't even show it until it's perfect um you are placing a level of i don't know you're basically saying that you you have the answers before you've even gotten to the answer right and so that is a huge problem yeah exactly because you know so i mean you never let the process you know, you're, you're always trying to get, perf- you know, perfection is always getting in the way of prog- of, of the process, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause the process can be fluid. And if you're trying to make everything perfect before you move on to the next step, that fluidity is killed. The process is killed. It's just, you know, you're, you know, as, as the article says, you know, it's a serial killer. It's, it's, um, you're never going to get, you're never going to be able to sit down and talk to the the client and say, okay, you know, here, this is what we want or have that open dialogue with them because you're, you're too busy trying to make it right. 
or or know it right or like know I, it, yeah. I that's a huge thing that i i see architects struggle with in my practice in our practice is is there are certain people who go into meetings knowing the answers and again i, I use air quotes around that because they want to be perceived as having all the answers and that comes off i think that totally fits into this discussion because basically you're you're saying that that I'm certain. I know exactly the answers to the problems. And that that does kill the creative process, right? Well, if you already know all the answers, what, what am I here to do? What is anybody here to, going to add to this conversation that's going to make it any better? Because if you already have all the answers, you don't need us. And so now you've killed people's opportunity to have ownership in the project, right? right? So it's a morale killer, at least within the company, it's a morale killer. And on the outside, externally, it's something that doesn't allow the client to have any uh, stake in the creative process or ownership over that. Or you know, how how do you invite them in to participate? They don't get to. And so again, that it is a killer in that way as well. And so creativity is the opposite side of the of that coin. It is about being open. It's about not it being okay with not knowing the answer, right? Because you don't have a process if you already know the answer. But I guess that's how I'm thinking about it. Where I see perfection being a problem in the office is surrounding CAD work. And with CAD work, you can be so precise with everything down to the, I don't know, 1 to 256 uh, accuracy level. Whatever tolerance you set, right? Well, that's true, yes. Whatever tolerance you set. And it can cause such problems when you're trying to just be productive and get something done. And when you're trying to draw things so perfectly in the computer because we're zoomed in to the point where something that is only a half an inch wide looks like six inches wide on your computer it's screen. across the whole screen, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, exactly. And what I try and do myself and also project to those that are that are working with me is that let's keep in mind how this is being printed. If you're working on a large project, yes, the scale, exactly. And this project or these elevations are going to be drawn at maybe one-eighth inch scale on a 30 by 42 sheet. Who cares how something is drawn? If it is an inch off or, or so, it doesn't matter. Because no well, the, one the, will be able to tell <laughs> at that scale, right? But you know as well as, as, as we do that any time you don't draw something, quote-unquote, perfectly, it just leads to problems down the road. When you actually snap a dimension to that thing and you've got the tolerance set at a very high or a very small number, this becomes a huge problem later on, right? True. True. But this didn't happen. This didn't happen in the hand drawing days, that's for sure. And so again, I don't I don't mean to bring it back to the way we used to do it, but but thickness of the the lead and how hard you push on the paper could mean the difference between that half inch and not. And and then you just wrote in the dimension that it's supposed to be, and then we left a certain amount of control and creativity up to the contractor to build it. Right. And not have to worry about being such control freaks over such minute tolerances. Where I'm going, going, coming from this, I should say, where I'm coming from this is that, uh, let me use a specific example. In our office, we use SketchUp for a lot of things, as I'm sure a lot of offices do. And the Ugh. people that are drawing the SketchUp do a pretty good job of 
making the elevations or making the model for the most part relatively correct. And so you can take in SketchUp and you we made these snapshots basically of the uh, elevations, the front elevations, because we had never drawn them before. And for the most part, if you took that elevation and printed it at eighth scale on a sheet, cleaned it up a tiny bit, right? And you got to clean it up a little bit. So you spend a few hours maybe cleaning it up and it's essentially done and it'll look substantially completed and accurate enough that once you call out your details, they're going to go look at those details. So if a piece of trim in the SketchUp model is happens to be three inches and the actual piece is four or maybe even five, it doesn't matter because you can't read two inches at eighth scale on a 30 by 42 sheet. Yeah. That's my point. And so it, you can... Nor should you, you be because you should be looking at the dimensions and not pulling out a ruler. Fair enough, but on <laughs> the scale on the elevations. elevations, you're not scaling the width of your trim. If you're going to call out the trim, fine, you call it out. You don't dimension it. Now, when you're talking about plan work, yes, because you're snapping dimensions, and that's maybe more important to be accurate with. But in this case, those were already drawn. I'm in in the case I'm using as the example, I'm looking at mainly just the elevations, which are just the picture. If the railing detail is slightly different than, say, the model was, but it doesn't matter because you're going to have a detail that will explain it. No one is going to look at that elevation and go, you know, that is like three inches here. No, they're not going to do that. They're going to go look at the detail. What does the detail say? How do we lay this out? Boom, done. Or what is the dimension on the floor plan for the deck? It's there. It, you know, we, we have that information in other places, and yet we spend so much time redrawing all of this information. And that probably goes back to some of the solutions could be, hey, if we modeled this stuff, then we just project our elevations from the model, and a lot of this is solved. But not every office is doing that. Some offices are, and yay for them and good for them, but not every office is. And some offices, I would gather... The majority of offices out there are still doing things the old-fashioned way. You think so? I think so, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that you know, I, I'm looking at drawings sitting over here on my wife's desk because she does a lot of drafting, and, uh, and they're, they're drawn by hand. Uh, and there's there's a lot of information in there that you can't replicate in CAD. And not only that, it's you are leaving some of that work for the builder to figure out and you're not trying to get it all like people are obsessed with perfection right and i i think that that is one of these things where we i'm kind of changing changing course a little bit here in the middle of my sentence but i feel like that this is something that we don't talk about as a big group in our offices we don't ever say here's how perfect we're going to be now some people might do that on a project level um, at least in an office that that I work in, it's very different project to project. There's different people working on it with different skills and slightly different software here and there. And so you might have that conversation. You know, if you're doing a CMU or a brick building, are you going to draw the walls uh, nominal or are you going to do actual, right? And so this is where we start to get into the these, you know, this or that kind of conversations about how precise are we going to be what are we going to set our tolerances to all these things 
But I think in a larger scale, these people waste so much time going in and, like you're saying, Neil, zooming in to the gnat's ass on this stuff and tweaking things so that they are on the one two fifty sixth of an inch, uh, that they are spending so much extra time that will never be recovered um, and shouldn't be. It should that that should have never happened in the beginning is what I mean to say by that. They they we should have these conversations and say we're going to hit this level of tolerance and that's it. And you guys are not going to spend any time doing all that stuff. And and I think that the software is doing us a disservice because it allows us to get so precise. Now I can totally see this if you're doing uh, CNC machining and you're working with titanium bits and you're milling things out of aluminum and the objects are small, but we're talking about buildings here. You're going to be lucky if the contractor gets within two inches of that dimension that you set out there. And, and so why are we killing ourselves over this precision and this perfectionism? And I guess we're kind of honing in on very small sliver of what we do and, and where this perfection conversation could go. But I think it's something that we all kind of see on a day-to-day basis. Well, and we also know that regardless of how precise and how air quotes here, perfect. The, <laughs> they're not going to look at the drawings. They're, anyway. One, they're not going to look at the drawings, <laughs> you know, and a lot of times your contract documents are not just your drawings. They're also your specs and right. you know, your specs are going to have some little verbiage in there that says, or approved equal. And they're going to do something that's completely different from the drawing that you spent so much time drawing. So you almost have to say, well, why the, what's the point of doing any of that? Because, right. you know, you've, um, you know, you're drawing too much. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that again, ripples down throughout the entire project and you change a little thing here, then you've got to go coordinate it over there and over there. And then you've got to send it to your consultants and you're coordinating all this stuff. That's just going to get swapped out at a substitution right. during construction. So, yeah, <laughs> totally exactly. happens all the time. So, you know, that's actually a good point to jump in with our first sponsor break here. So we're all pretty busy um, and sometimes feel like we could use a, another hand to help us out. Would you like somebody to draw CAD details for you, create BIM objects, or write specifications for you? How would you like that all to be done for free? RCAD is your answer. RCAD already has already done all of this work for you. Search the RCAD libraries for CAD, BIM, specifications, catalogs, videos, and more. All this content is created for free of charge. No registration is required. Stop registering on sites for content. Just come to RCAT and find what you need. RCAT has created a website devoted to you, the building professional, to find building product information fast and hassle-free. Check out RCAT today at arcat.com. Don't forget to provide feedback on their site. There's a button on the right side of every page. Have a suggestion to make RCAT better? Click the feedback button and let them know and tell them that ArcaSpeak sent you. Thanks, Arcat, for sponsoring this episode of Arca Speak. So, so one thing that I've noticed, I, maybe you guys have dealt with this before, but perfection starting a project makes it hard to start a project, right? Because you don't know everything. And so how can you start if you don't know everything first? Because a lot of us are worried about perception, what other people think, right? So I, I, there's a lot of awesome projects out there that have never been started because it's not ready for the world right it's uh it's not perfect and then there's the other side of that which is how many times have you not finished a project 
because it wasn't perfect. It just died, right? I, I've struggled with both of these things before where it's just they, they fall off my map and because I didn't get it to a point where I wanted and I felt like it wasn't, it didn't hit my, <clears throat> it didn't hit my high quality standards. There's a lot of really interesting things that people have attempted to do that have never seen the light of day or never even been started because they weren't perfect. Well, today was a good example working on a pedestrian bridge design and had a kind of a first round review with the client. Overall, it, it went well, but they wanted to take a look at the, the bridge piers. They thought they were a little bit heavy and, and I, I tend to agree with them. And so as I've been working over the past couple of days, trying to come up with some different ideas and stuff, I've started and stopped, started and stopped. And so one of the the senior designers in the office um, and then other members of the project team, we were all gathered around my desk. And I was going through and I was kind of showing them iterations and stuff. And, you know, one of them commented like, Jesus, how many, uh, how many windows do you have open? Cause I had like, you know, tons of different like SketchUp windows and CAD and, and even Revit and stuff. And I had all these different like tools that I've been using to try to design and kind of address some of these, um, uh, just design ideas for the, for the peers. And they were like, you know, and, and I was just because I kept starting and stopping because it wasn't perfect. It wasn't what I was thinking. It, it the idea was, seemed great in my head, but then when I started to realize it 3d and, and vertically and horizontally and everything else, I was just, Ooh, that's not right. No, can't, I don't want to show that. And then, but they kept saying, he was like, no, no, go ahead and show it to me. And what was funny is that, so we started talking about kind of a couple of the unrealized less than perfect, um, ideas. And that's where we're heading now because there was something in there that, because I didn't want to show it to him because I didn't think it was good enough or perfect enough or ready to really kind of hit the, you know, send button that, um, you know, I wasn't going to show it to him, but because everybody was kind of gathered around my desk and they're like, well, didn't I kind of see you working on something else? You know, uh, you know, let me see that one. I'm like, Oh no, it's, it's not ready. Is it? <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 it's not ready. Well, and, it's, and it was, yeah. Your insecurities are all wrapped it, up in that. Right? Exactly. So, yeah. but you know, so then I pulled it up and we, you know, started talking about it. And then it was even funnier is that I grabbed a couple of, um, um, Sharpies and use them as kind of like my little, like, okay, so you've got two, you've got, uh, two wide flanges here and then you've got another one here and you were going to cant these outward like this. And then we're going to do these this way, that idea or that, that perfect plan that I was working on that I didn't think was right. It was funny that I worked it out through just holding up three markers. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, it was kind of cool. That's awesome. I, I I think that what you're what you're talking about is truly one of the most necessary components of the process that we've been talking about, which is you you have to fail to get to a good idea. Right? You you don't just have a good idea and then make it better and better and better and better. Like a lot of those in between steps actually have to be failures because those help us understand right. the constraints. And it's interesting because there's a there's a quote I don't I don't know who who said it and I'll probably butcher it but it's it's everything that we consider conventional was once considered unconventional yeah, yeah. right there's there's unconventional thinking and and basically I, and this is something that I've heard Bjark Ingels talk about too where 
you know, you look at the designs and the ideas and that they come up with with their buildings. And, and if you take the one where it's like a, a ski hill, a ski slope on top of a dump, right? Uh, it's like, who? that is an absurd idea. And they're perfectly okay with that because if you don't have an environment where people are allowed to have absurd ideas, you will never have breakthrough innovation ideas like that happen. And he said that. He said, if, if we didn't have a place where it was okay for somebody to blurt out a completely stupid, idiotic, who would ever do that idea, wait a second, you know what? You're onto something. That might actually work. It's so crazy, it might actually work. And, and you can't have that happen if everybody is wrapped up in being perfect all the time. Right? That is not... You, in order for the creative process to work, perfection cannot be a constraint that you have to work within. And so you're, you're talking about the same exact thing with your bridge design. I mean, you had all these ideas. They informed other ideas. They even were forced out of you. Your friend said, <laughs> show me. And that led to conversations that led to a solution with you holding up three markers. Oh, it's so simple. It's just this. Yeah. Right? But yeah. that couldn't have happened if, if you didn't do all that other work. And that creative process, that... You know, they call it walking the coastline. I've, I've heard it. I've heard this metaphor used before, where it's like, you know, if you're if you're looking at Google Earth and you're zoomed way out and you try to trace a line from San Francisco down to L.A., it looks pretty simple. Yeah, I could walk that in a couple of days probably. And it's not until you zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, and you actually look at the path you have to walk, and it zigs and zags all over the place, right? And it's going to take days, and you're going to get blisters, and you're going to run out of food, and you're going to run out of water, and all these kind of things happen along the way and pretty soon it's not one or two days it's 40 days to do this walk and that's really what creativity is like you can't look at it as a and and a lot of people wish right i wish those guys could or i wish those people could just figure it out figure out the problem or already have the answers before we even begin but it's not that's not what this is like that's not the business that we're in we're in the business of trying to come up with innovation which if the 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 kind of definition of innovation is taking two things and sticking them together that have never been stuck together before. Right. Right. Uh, how does that happen? It doesn't happen preconceived. It doesn't happen in one thought. It doesn't go straight from A to B. It's all this other crazy zigzagging path in between that we actually finally get to that answer. And at the end, it looks obvious. Right? It's like, well, no crap, that's the answer because of all these things. Well, <laughs> that's all. I, I love that part of it. It's it's really interesting. But it's the zigs and the zags that people are forgetting are part of the process and an unnecessary part of the process. We've gotten to a point where we create too quickly and then people start settling in on those ideas because they want to see this photorealistic rendering of what your idea is and then always use that as kind of like the measuring tool of the progress. It's like, well, but but you showed me this early on, and I want this because this is this is exactly exactly what I want. And we start to get ourselves kind of settled into this perfection too early. Yeah, and yep, yep. it in making as, those decisions. So and early. so we we make these decisions based off of kind of just this real quick snapshot of what our thoughts are, and then. We want, I, I don't, I don't really know, honestly, why we do this to ourselves, but we get ourselves in a position where we give the clients something too early 
Mm-hmm. And we assume that that, you know, that, well, we don't assume, but they assume that this is what it is. This is the final decision. This is the idea. This is the notion. And just kind of like push it through. And, and then we get stuck. And then we we try to continuously f- work at one idea. Because it wasn't right, it's even harder. I- exactly. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. And, and this is also another trap of technology, I think, a lot of times is showing too much too soon. Uh, and like I, I've said on previous podcasts, like there's a lot of times where I will be thinking five steps ahead of where I'm actually showing the client what I'm working on because I don't want them to get hung up on a small detail that might be they hate the color red or whatever. Right. Um, you know, so I'll strip all the color off the model and I'll show it to them. But, but again, just back to that technology thing, I think a lot of times what happens in the way that technology allows us to get to a level of refinement quickly, it looks done right. to a layman. Right, exactly. It's it's like you'd be better off walking in with a pile of Legos and building it in front of them and saying, I'm kind of thinking something like this, and then they will know that that is not the final answer because it's just freaking Legos, right? So we think of using 3D as as our digital Legos, but to them it looks done. Oh my gosh, there's glass, there's handrails, there's stair treads, there's risers, there's there's this and that, and 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 they're like, man, the building's done. What's what's the hangup? This is what I want. You know, I want to see this level of progress every time we meet. Yeah, it's so. like, why why is it taking so long for you to get this done? You just showed me that SketchUp model that was a finished bridge, right? So w- why aren't you done? It's been done for a while now, right? Yeah, you're just like, yeah. whoa, time out now. <laughs> Concepts. It's a process, people. It's yeah. a process. Yeah, right? but but Neil, that's the problem is is that we're showing them what appears to be finished concepts because they look finished because of yeah. the 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 way that we're presenting them. And it, it, it's almost and as much as I love being able to say, oh, look at the sophistication of our delivery method, and in you know you can really see you know because really to before I got the the bridge in front of them as a SketchUp model, I'm drawing everything in 2D form, and they really can't see it because this is a this is a, a undulating bridge, and it's, it's not just this straight little run. It's got an elbow. It's got all sorts of crazy things going on, and it truly is a 3D form that they could see, and they're like, "Oh, now I get what you're saying," and so I needed to do that. But unfortunately, now they think it's done. <laughs> no. Yeah. But isn't it also the software tool? They the the tools give us the oper- the ability, I should say, to make it look like it's not perfect. I think the default SketchUp model that I see all the time, it looks done. There it is. It, it's it's perfect. It's done. Go build it right. But I think it's up to us to try and modify that presentation to make it look like it's, you know, use this, use the wiggly line mode or whatever and strip. Like <laughs> I think the idea of getting rid of the color and the materials. Do we still have that squiggle machine? Well, this is, this is why I like to have a live model and actually start to like move pieces around right. and, and start to tear pieces away or delete them and draw new ones. It's just like having a, a analog model back when we were in school and we had chipboard models and, we would rip a wall off and we'd grab a piece of paper and fold it and hold it in place real quick and say, what about, you know, it was called, you know, a study model. Oh, uh, I got to tell you guys this and real quick. Uh, so we, we had our um, office or our, our studio meeting 
and the one of the lead designers in the in the studio was showing us some of the more recent presentation materials that they've been going after our projects with and i i can't remember the exact acronym that he made or 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 hyphenated word but basically it was a sketch model and what he did was he built this you know built like a a a small topo with the site and everything else in it so and then laid a piece of acetate over the top of that and then had little masses for the buildings and stuff solid masses for the actual existing buildings and then kind of just small little basically program shapes for the actual building itself and you could draw on it you could take all these little pieces and you could stack them up and change them and and take buildings that are proposed but aren't maybe part of the the program and move them around and stuff and it was it was a great concept because you can kind of tangibly see the site that you already know of but then you know you you get your hands in there and you can draw over it you can move everything around and stuff and it was just it was a fantastic little concept that i thought was far more interactive for the client to really kind of feel like they're a part of it by being able to get in there and roll their sleeves up and and just kind of like push it around just like we do mm-hmm. um, so I, I thought it, I, I just it was something that i just wanted to share because it was i know it's uh it, it's actually the it, it's like what you were saying is that's why you like to build the models and stuff so people can really kind of see it and get in there and stuff and it it, it's not it's a it's a non-committal way to really have them spatially understand what's going on but you know still be very fluid enough and it's even in a model form it's just a sketch well let's take a break for a moment and talk about where all of this model data is going to be stored right let's talk about drobo drobo is a family of safe expandable yet simple to use smart storage devices Drobos are designed to protect your important data, like all these models, right? Even in the event of a hard drive crash. There are only two people in this world, those that have experienced a hard drive failure and those that will. If you're a Mac user, you have the option of using Apple's built-in backup software Time Machine, but it's not cross-platform, and if the drive fails, you've lost your backup. Drobos can hold four, five, or more drives, so if one drive fails, you simply replace it with another drive. You can even replace it with a larger capacity drive, and the Drobo software intelligently repopulates your data across all of the drives so your data is protected. Instead of daisy-chaining more and more drives to your computer as your storage needs expand, simply add larger drives to your Drobo. For a small architectural office, it's the perfect file storage server, and even also for a larger one too, which is simple to set up and easy to maintain and expand. I also want to tell you about a new feature that Drobo recently introduced that is called MyDrobo. What MyDrobo allows you to do is turn a Drobo into your own private cloud server. With MyDrobo, you can create users and give them password-protected access to your entire Drobo, or just one folder, or even a specific file. I've tried this myself with some colleagues to share some documents that were far too large to email. Using the Drobo dashboard software, I created a username and password, shared the file, and emailed the link to them. All they had to do was simply log in and download the file. Simple. Not only have I shared files, but I've also used the My Drobo feature to remotely access my drive while out of the office. The beauty of this is that I maintain control over who has access to my data, and it's not someone else's server out there on the internet simple and safe. There's so much more to learn about having a Drobo. Check out their website at drobo.com. And if you decide to buy, 
Then use our special ArcaSpeak podcast offer code of ARC100, that's A-R-C-H-1-0-0, to receive 10% off your purchase of a Drobo. Find the Drobo that's right for you at Drobo.com, and thanks to Drobo for sponsoring this episode of ArcaSpeak. So have you guys ever heard of, uh, I heard this this term a while back, I think it has more to do with software development, but I think it could apply to what we're talking about, which is... Um if you're not embarrassed by version one, you have shipped too late. Yes. In fact, uh, they, they even used that recently on Silicon Valley. Too. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Uh, I heard that's it's, good. It's, it's great. It's great. And, uh, and they basically were. And what's, what's interesting is that this particular TV show, they're focused on this particular software and it's some cutting edge compression software that they don't want to ship because they don't think it's right. Mm-hmm. And all these other people are racing to basically get the same software out or a version of the software. It may not be as good, but they're out on the street. And this one company who started it and you know, are trying to perfect it are trying to basically get to the point where they feel comfortable with it being perfect, but they've lost already. Yeah. 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 You know? They, they don't get the users. Exactly. I, I struggle with this because, again, I, I guess I'm a perfectionist. I don't know. I'm, I'm losing that over the years I, compared to some other people that I know. But it's, it's one of those things where I have a high standard and I don't want to put it out there. And I think this, this goes even to design and working on projects. Um, the, the first idea is like I... I I'm tr- what I'm trying to get to the point of is that that doesn't matter for me because the the whole idea be- behind this putting stuff out and being embarrassed about it is that you're putting it out there you're you're saying you're not saying it's done you're saying here's my work in progress tell me what you think and give me feedback quickly so that I can incorporate that in and in, into it and make it better I think it's the fear of failure or the feel the fear of assuming that we failed perceptive yeah Yeah. being perceived as well i think there's also a perception of what i'm doing is not very good and i think your analogy to the if you're not embarrassed by your 1.0 product or software then you're not doing it right i think that also follows into a lot of other things that we do right some of which includes like blogging um, mm-hmm. or creating a book or sketching or doing doodles and sketches and putting them out there for people to see. Right. Yeah. And that was a way to get over this fear of perfect of, I would never put anything out and because I'd never felt it was good enough. And that was a way to force myself kind of like Evan, you're talking about in the old age, it was a way to force myself to get over the fear of failure because it wasn't perfect. And Cormac, how many people wrote to you and said, oh, your drawings are crap? No, I I don't know. But I'm going to guess nobody. Nobody. (laughs) Everybody loved them, right? So just do it. Put it out there. Yeah, quantity over quality at that point, right? Because you want to make sure that you are putting in the time so that you can actually get good at something. I mean, if you want to get good at sketching, what do you have to do? Sketch. Sketch. You have to sketch. If you want to get good at being, taking photographs, what do you have to do? You have to shoot thousands of photos. I mean, I, I see this every every time I go to the rock climbing gym. Like, yeah, I wish I could climb that really difficult climb over there, but I freaking can't, right? So what am I going to do? I'm going to climb as much as I can and get 
incrementally better. But I, st- I still struggle with this. Well, it's it's the same, you know, and, and we, we say it a lot when we, you know, we talk about this, you know, the, these kind of things with being parents and how we kind of give our, we don't seem to take our own advice. We give our children advice all the time. Oh, you're you know, right. I, I, you know, because I, I tell my six foot 13 year old who just went to the doctors the other day and he's now officially a six footer. And this is a tall kid, and he loves to play basketball, but he doesn't seem to want to get any better at it. But he wants to, you know, say, oh, I'm a basketball player. It's like, till you get out there and you shoot and you shoot and you shoot, you're never going to get any better. Well, that's the same thing as our design process. I don't know if you guys had this. I had this professor, and he was just like, if you aren't going through at least one or two rolls of trace paper for this project, then yeah. you have not exhausted every possible option even if they're all failures at least you've looked at it at least you've tried at least you know and you know you know what doesn't work just as much as you know what does work and you know what sometimes when you think it's a failure like my what i thought were some a failure of these bridge piers that's when they're like oh no this is great we should develop that idea a little bit more and let's let's really kind of see what what we can do with that i'm like oh yeah, well, maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. But it wasn't until somebody forced me to actually put it out there for me to give it another chance. And that's what getting your ideas in front of the client, in front of your peers, in front of other engineers and stuff to really kind of develop it. But that goes back to what we were saying about getting kind of locked into the the software, locking us into kind of finished ideas too early. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've all been there too, where there's people that we have to deal with that treat you like crap because you don't have all the answers, right? So you right. and again, that's kind of where how we get into these positions of not wanting to show our work, which is why do why do people treat people like that? This is totally like the the Neanderthal mentality, right? Where it's this is fight or flight. For for me to look good, you have to look bad kind of a thing. Yeah. Or it's just like, why are you asking me what I think about this? You're the expert. You, you, know, you should is, know. Yeah. You should know. Right. Is, so there's that catch-22 of it's just like, well, you know, we want your idea. We want you to be invested in all of this. But you're thinking one thing and I'm thinking another. But, yeah. yeah have you have you guys heard that um, there was a, an Ira Glass interview? And I can't remember the podcast that it was. I don't. I can't remember. I'll have to look it up and see if I can find it. But he was interviewed. He wasn't oh, doing the interviewing. So, so it wasn't this American. Oh, life. I think it was on. Um, Here's the thing with Alec Baldwin. It's a podcast out of uh, oh, yeah, yeah. New York. It's a really good podcast. If you can, I'll, we'll find a link to that episode. Put it in the show notes. But he's interviewing Ira Glass, and he's like, you know, you're so good at what you do. And, and he's like, yeah, but if I go back and listen to my old interviews, they were so terrible, right? But but he basically goes through the whole thing where he's like, the only way to actually get good at it is to do it. And being okay with not being any good at it and still putting it out there so that you can always have this bar of which to judge yourself and say, I'm going to do better next time, right? I'm going to do better next time. And And that's how our projects are, right? Every time we do another project, we want to do it better than the last time shit that's how our podcast is yeah if we want perfect- exactly if we wanted perfection we would never put one out. oh my god yeah people say i'm starting at episode one and what do we say oh, don't. don't i'm sorry i'm right? sorry yeah exactly sorry. we apologize to them like, we oh. apologize yeah it, that's exactly right but but then how would we ever have gotten to the point where we are now which is 
super close to perfect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it's it's just one of those things where it, it we've learned so much. We and how do we do that by showing up, right? And doing the work, and that's the only way to get there. And so this whole perfectionism killer that we all deal with is because you know there's there's a lot of time, a lot of excuses out there, right? We come home from work, we want to sit in front of the TV, or we want to pop open a beer and we want to relax and we don't want to work on progressing to the next level. Like we record this podcast at night. Cormac <laughs> records this podcast in the early morning hours. In the, in the early AMs. But how do we actually, I mean, we have to show up and do it. I mean, there's right. no other time to do it. So we do it. And, and to me, like this is how you stick through it. And this is how you do get better at doing things. And it opens up opportunities and it makes you better at something. And if I didn't have opportunities like this to get better at things, I, I feel like I would just die on the vine. Oh, yeah. uh, and I, I know there are people who are, are and are not wired like that. But me personally, I always want to be doing something better. And so it gives me it gives me like excitement to think where we will be, where I will be with uh, with all the different things that I'm doing in the future, just knowing that if I stick with it, I'm going to get better at it. And it's going to be... I don't know if I'll ever be 100% happy with it, but it's going to be one of those things where I want to keep progressing. Well, if you're 100% happy with it, then why do you? Why would you want to keep going? Yeah, and that is the perfection, right? So, yeah, progress over perfection right. at that point. Yes. All right, well, let's take an, another break here, and let's talk about our third sponsor for this show, and that is WallProtex. All right, WallProtex is a wall protection designer and manufacturer that wanted to not just tell people about their products, but create something that would help architects do their job better. How do they do that? They've helped architects save time by creating a newsletter that finds the top five most shared architectural articles from the past 24 hours from the top architecture websites in the world. You can sign up for the newsletter that will bring you the best architectural articles at arcnews.io. That's A-R-C-H news.io it's a daily email that curates these top articles and to be transparent about the data they have actually included how much each piece of content was shared and on what social network the newsletter is free doesn't contain any ads you can sign up today at arcnews.io that's a-r-c-h-n-e-w-s dot i-o and thanks to wall protects for sponsoring this episode of arcaspeak uh, I just wanted to say I, I have been subscribing to arcnews.io for the last couple months. I think that, you know they announced that it was out and I subscribed to it because this is totally one of those things where if you subscribe to this one email, you no longer have to actually go to all these blogs and get and check your Twitter feeds and check your Facebook feeds for all this stuff. It all comes it just comes in this one little email and you can unsubscribe from all the rest. I click on these links more than any other newsletter that I get because they are just the good stuff that people are talking about. And uh, I actually do appreciate, they actually rank them in order from the most shared down to the least shared out of the top five. So they're all shared quite a bit, but you've got websites like art daily architect newspaper, blah, 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 all the, all the other great architect websites out there. And uh, it's, it's cool stuff. I, I really do appreciate wall protects for putting this together. They are a manufacturer of product. They've gone out of their way to come up with a completely new idea um, to actually help architects stay up to date, and I think it's really cool. So I thought it was great that they wanted to sponsor the show, and I'm a happy subscriber. I hope that you will sign up too at arcnews.io. Well, you just sold me because I get tons of email subscriptions every yeah. day. 
Yeah. And yeah, you're right. It is really hard to kind of surf through all of those. So yeah, normally you just you delete, know. delete, delete, right? But uh, this is one that I actually read through real quick, and and they've often got two or three or four links that I actually want to click on. So it's it's good stuff. Highly recommended. So I was asked to be a part of a. In fact, we were asked to, but. I, I guess I was the one that was that drew the short straw here, <laughs> but to be part of a um, jury for uh, design awards, and you know, as we're talking about perfection, it, it's kind of interesting to see how other people view projects through this process. It was kind of interesting because here we had two extraordinarily good designers. I, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say their names because it's, you know, it has probably not. Yeah. It, it hasn't. The, the design awards, you know, haven't been published or anything else. So, you know, I won't even say who they are, but or who we judged. But anyway, it was interesting to watch them jury these and in how each person would pick up on details and they would say this is a successful detail or this is an award worthy detail. Or this isn't. And so it's it's interesting that each of us spend so much time on trying to do all of the what we feel is perfect for us. And when so if we're designing for us, that's fine. But since we're really technically designing for the rest of the world to experience and see they're going to see it in a completely different way. So, mm-hmm. so sometimes we may not really want to like spend so much time trying to pour all of our spirit into this one little detail when somebody else may just kind of shit all over it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, so sometimes you, you need to step back and think about who the audience is and is perfection really worth spending so much time or is it more about the process <laughs> yeah let's put a link to that james victoria video in there he says congratulations <laughs> you spent all kinds of extra time working on that little itty bitty detail that no one gives a crap about right exactly yeah yeah i i, I this is something i totally struggle with as well because i'm writing this this book and i don't the audience right now is well, I'm doing all the editing, right? And so it's very hard to try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes to right. do a job like this. And and that is our is my role as a designer. And I often find it much easier, right, when I know what the constraints are, when I'm meeting with people, when I'm involving them in the process. Because I don't have to be responsible for every little decision then. And there's all kinds of benefits to that, right? But when it's your own thing, it is way harder, I yeah. find, to do it all on your own and be and and then have to defend it potentially to for things like you're talking about like if you're entering a competition i've entered architectural competitions before we've killed ourselves you know working all-nighters doing all this stuff that we should never do and to what end i've seen i've seen competition entries come in that were i what i would personally consider half-assed win <laughs> yeah right because because the idea was so much stronger that the execution didn't need to be so perfect. It's it's a totally weird dichotomy, but I feel like that that falls right into this ship early, right? Ship often, uh, iterate in public, and incorporate people's feedback so that so that you don't have to have the perfect one. Because if you wait and wait and wait until it's perfect, everybody's going to pass you by. Right. Right. 
But what was interesting about it is just kind of just see where. So, you know, you put first you put yourself. This was my first time uh, on a jury like this. You know, I've, I've been on student juries and things like that. And you're trying to I don't know if we necessarily try to be a little bit overly hard on students and stuff. But we're trying to make sure that they're ready for what we went. We're not trying to say, aha, it's it's our turn to make you suffer like I suffered. No, it's more of, aha, I know what you're wanting to do with the rest of your life because I'm doing it. And I want to make sure you're ready for it. Mm. In, in this particular case, it's a purely subjective thing. It's purely... The it, it's fashion. It's not really how one person feels. And you know, it, it does have a sense of competency and all of this other stuff. But it, it's it was it was interesting to see where every one of us, as you know, designers and architects and and everybody else, we we sit back and we're like, yeah, this is it. This is the best I can do. And you know, I I, I feel really good about this. And then when you put yourself out there, I think that's why we kind of struggle with, well, I, I don't really want to show it to you because I don't think it's perfect yet. Because then when we feel like we it's perfect, people are like, Ugh, what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, I find I find the whole architecture thing really interesting in that, you know, I obviously feel very fortunate to do what I get to do. I love what I do. I don't believe I actually get to do it. I I can't believe they actually build things that I design. (laughs) Exactly. But what's super interesting to me about this whole thing is if somebody else designed the project, it would be nothing like what actually got built. Yeah. That, 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 That what I did. Right. So, What's super interesting about the creative process is there is no such thing as a right answer, right? Because there are so many right answers when it comes to how people think and how it gets executed and who's on the team. All of these things lead to a particular outcome that is not even, it could be considered the right outcome, but it's one of many right outcomes at that point. And I think that's super interesting about architecture in that so many people experience it and so many people would have done things differently, right? Well, if, no shit, right? It's because that's that's you and you're not me. And and so I find that really interesting about architecture and how many people get to experience it and how many people actually have opinions about it that didn't do the project that would have done it differently, but they didn't get to. And so to me, that that's just a really weird, big thing to think about. It's it's just one of those abstract thoughts that that I think about all the time when I'm sitting there drawing a line and and it just dawns on me like somebody else would be drawing this the opposite direction or a, a completely different way or they would take you through the the experience in a different way or they would work with the client differently or they would work with their team differently right. there's so many variables in there or or so it's like oh well how is this person going to see this line or does is this line going to capture the light the way that I want it to be and then you're just thinking to yourself it's just like so you're designing more to kind of satisfy your own ego, I guess, in a way. And if it's good for you, then you're like, okay, I'm good. Right. Because everybody else will look at it differently. There will be no way for you to ever please anybody else. And there are people I can, to to bring it all back to the beginning, there are people, there are, there are designers, there are designers that I know who feel like, there is always a better answer right around the corner. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it sucks to be that person. I think. 
<laughs> it sucks because you're never done. You're always stressed out. You carry that burden on your on your shoulders that it's never good enough. And 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 that's a really hard thing to live. So through. Evan, what's what's your advice for for everyone out there listening to this? How do we get past this? Constraints and deadlines. Constraints and deadlines. All right. And, and to me, you you this is this is a great little piece of advice that I stole from somewhere. Give yourself a certain amount of time and put a number out there of how many iterations you're going to come up with. Cormac was saying could, you could go through hundreds of iterations and they all inform the final answer. But just give yourself a number, like like eight, right? In the next 20 minutes, I'm going to do eight things. And then after that 20 minutes is up and I have eight different possible schemes, now I'm going to go try to break every single one of them, right? And I'm going to whittle that down to three, and then I'm going to whittle that down to one, and that's the one that I'm going to present. But I, I honestly feel like constraints and, and deadlines are the only way that we can actually get stuff done. Yeah. I would love to hear what ever, all of our audience thinks are the, are the, the things that, that make you do that. But, but to me, like that's in my experience, those are so, – so I don't operate where there's always a better answer around the corner. I operate under there's my deadline. I will figure it out by then, and don't rush me. Before that, don't ask me tomorrow where the answer is because I won't know yet. I let my subconscious work on ideas. I, I don't even sketch them all out. I, I can sketch you out the answer in the end because my subconscious has been actively or passively working on it for the last 48 or 72 hours. And the idea showed up in the shower one morning and here's the sketch and here it is. And that's why you pay me because I've got the experience to be able to do that. I find that just a really interesting process. And so, so to me, those are, the, those are my answers for, for your question, Neil. How about you, Cormac? I think I would echo a lot of that. I mean, because, you know, every project, every buildable or building project has those constraints and deadlines. It's called your project budget. It's called your permit submissions. It's, it's called all these other things. And so I definitely agree with that. And, and really, you know, your, your client themselves will have just as much of a an impact on what... <laughs> curtailing your perfection well that what's interesting about about your client's point of view in all of this is if they're happy it's a success right doesn't matter if it's perfect or not you're always going to see the imperfections i walk my projects before we go photograph them and i can point out all kinds of stuff but the big picture is the smile on their face when oh, they yeah. say this is the project of my dreams yes uh and and somebody else could come in and say oh well i would have done this differently and how could you have let that happen and this and that but but then you just point over at your client and you're like but but that but that's why i do this <laughs> right there just look at that look at that smile look at that grin look at what, how they're talking to other people about the project look look at the stories that they're passing on to all the people who walk through the doors of the process they went through uh, that, that to me is is what makes up for all of those second guesses that that show up that armchair quarterbacking to to give you guys a sports analogy right it's it's that helps me silence that kind of talk because we're always gonna have to deal with that I think right all right let's wrap it up here all right well let before we go let's take a moment to thank our sponsors rcat check out all the features they offer at arcat.com and drobo visit them at drobo.com to learn more and don't forget to use the arcaspeak offer code arch100 to save 100 dollars off your purchase of a drobo and WallProtex, sign up for their curated newsletter that finds the top five most shared architectural articles from the past 24 hours from top architectural websites in the world. Sign up at arcnews.io.
And for links to our catalog of episodes, visit our website at arcaspeakpodcast.com. At the site, you can also sign up for our newsletter that includes links to everything we mention in the episode. Between episodes, join the conversation by leaving comments at arcaspeakpodcast.com and on our Facebook page or even Twitter. Links can be found by visiting the site at arcaspeakpodcast.com. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Start now, or you can hang your head in despair. The only road will take you there. They may tell you that you'll never recover, baby. I'm